This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. Yet another episode, episode 202. We made it through 200, we made it through 201, now we are at 202. I'm not really sure how we made it to 202. We almost didn't even have an episode because things have been absolutely crazy. But it is your boy East Coast Trev and I'm joined with my good buddy Mr. Madman Mardik. What up? What up, buddy? I know it's late. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm walking right now, talking, seeing, believing. I'm not really sure what what is going on, honestly. Like, hey. this is nuts, and especially for off-season of all things. You know what we say, the grind never stops, baby. Oh, uh, dude, for you guys out there, man, we, we are 45 minutes away from release, recording the podcast. We... Guest jumped on, killer podcast, super pumped about it, man. It's just, and we're just going to run right through the sponsors, talk a little bit of talk, and then we're going to get right into it because it's it's a killer podcast, man, and, and one, mm. one for the books. It really is. The education aspect of it, you know, to teach people a little bit about what is really going on in the world and, and kind of fix, hopefully, you know, some of the negativity that has ever been talked yeah, I got to say, you know, Nakai is basically my neighbor. You know, I grew up right next door to his reservation. And I got to admit, I grew up a little underappreciative of, you know, what they do in their history and stuff like that, just out of convenience because it's right there. You know, it's overlooked. But as I get older and maybe mature a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, um, I definitely am starting to appreciate it more, and you know this um, this podcast, listening to talk, really got me fired up for for some of that stuff. Well, that and you know, like there's a lot of negativity that comes with res life, right? Like you hear about a lot of res people, and there's like negativity that comes with it, like you know, you know, like like for example, and it, you know, it's it's not horrible, but like you know, like oh, they can hunt whenever they want. You know, and, mm. and or whatever the case may be, but when you actually start to talk to them about it, is that they they are conservationists also. They're like the top of the conservationists on on that Bingo. aspect. Of it. And and not only that, but also, you know, putting what they 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 use the animal for and the seasons, and then to also find out that the the community of hunters within the community is very minute and you wouldn't think that I would think if you were to think say Indians or whatever, that you would think indigenous that people, indigenous people, that there would be 
a million and one hunters in the community that everybody would be a hunter. But that's not what it is. And that's, you know, he's trying to go about getting more people involved in the outdoors and educating them, you know, and that they went through kind of the same thing as we did with having less people, you know, whatever. I don't know. We're trying to realliterate or re redo what is already talked about in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the main thing just to, brush up on what you just said is like i'll admit too i was always under the impression that you know they have the ability and the right to hunt 365 days of the year no matter what the season is um but like you said to ever question their ways of conservation is just not it shouldn't even be debated you know what i mean like there's no nation that is more aware of how important conservation and um taking being stewards of the land than a tribal nation well and and think about it is that the reason why there still is deer and turkeys and fish and so on and so forth here on this earth is because of the history of the indigenous people who lived here before us correct you know what i'm saying i mean like the conservation aspect of it there but let's let him get into that that's what he's here for and Let's uh, let's uh, let's go through. You're gonna think the sponsors? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. you gotta do some housework here, man. I don't want to slip up. On no, it. come on, don't be crazy. Come so, on. you know I gotta, you know I gotta keep an eye on you. Yeah. Make sure you keep your shit together. All let's right. go. Whatever you say. So, title sponsor, um, uh, is Huntworth Huntworthgear.com. If you guys haven't gotten your Huntworth yet and getting it all ready for the early season, there's some good stuff from all the way from early season all the way into the heat boost stuff. Some of the greatest camo, hands down. Get more for less with Huntworth. Bro, it's been so hot out lately. I ain't even thinking about heat boost right now. <laughs> you should be, though. Like, come on, let's go. Um, Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. If you haven't gotten over there, the grunt tubes, turkey calls, there's still a ton. Mark's killing it out there. There is a bunch of grunt tubes on there. Now's the time to get them, I promise. When the wave starts to get pushing forward, they will disappear almost instantaneously. And speaking of that, they will be at Huntworth. We will, I mean, um, uh, Huntstock. Sorry, I am tired. Uh, they will be at Huntstock. We will be at Huntstock. You can find us there. Maybe we'll be on the main stage doing some midget wrestling or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Midget wrestling's a go. Uh, Pat's all for it. All we need is somebody to sponsor the ring. So if anybody out there is listening and they're interested in putting their name on the ring, <laughs> reach out to Pat. You guys can talk numbers. We main, got this. Main stage Sunday midget wrestling. No, just... maybe we'll maybe we'll sponsor it. Maybe it'll be the outdoor drive midget <laughs> wrestling stage at Hunstock, right? Like... Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Hey, hey, what can you do? Um, also, Latitude Outdoors, LatitudeOutdoors dot com. Um, we do have a promo code Outdoor Drive on that one. Save yourself fifteen percent for Latitude Outdoors. And last but not least. The news from your cruise is brought to you by Bowhunters United, bowhuntersunited.com. For all of you guys, for the advocates of bow hunting and the ATA, the link is below. You can sign up and become a member. You do, and now I have been told that you get a year subscription to deer and deer hunting. Wow, isn't that for signing up? I mean, that pays for its admission already. And then not even to add to that, but the hats, stickers, and all the other things that you get. So let's take a second. Let's get on over to the News Can Cruise from Mr. Mike Salter. All right, guys. Why don't we buckle up and see what's going on in the world of news with Mr. Mike Salter. Hey, everyone. We're going to kick this one off in New Hampshire. And Bill S-15, which is currently in the conference committee, the proposed bill would amend the permissible use of tree stands, observation blinds, and pip lines. The bill provides that no person shall construct a permanent tree stand or observation blind without permission from the property owner or designee, and that all portable or temporary tree stands or observation blinds can be erected from April 25th to June 1st and August 1st to December 31st of calendar year. All temporary stands or blinds must be removed by June 1st unless allowed by permission of the property owner. All tree stands and blinds will need to be labeled with the name and owner's contact information, and no person may cut any tree uh, in connection with placement of a stand or blind without the written permission of the property owner. Uh, Now to Kansas, where wildlife and parks officials have approved staff recommendations for changes to turkey hunting. 
The changes include a new lottery draw system for distribution of non-resident turkey permits starting in 2024. The application period for non-resident turkey hunters to apply for a specific unit will be in early January through mid-February, similar to the deer lottery. And any leftover non-resident turkey permits will be offered on a first-come, first-served basis. So a big change there in Kansas. Now to Rhode Island, where the DM is asking for the public's help by reporting uh, wild turkey sightings as part of their annual turkey brood survey. DM's biologists are asking for reports of females with or without poults and males to help with research efforts. Reports gathered provide valuable data on health trends and distribution. The survey period runs through August 31st, and reports can be submitted through the online survey platform, Survey123, or by filling out and returning a data sheet provided by the Division of Wildlife by September 15th. I know a lot of states uh, have these reports, uh, including Connecticut, so be sure to check out and see if your state is asking for turkey brood reporting. Now to Iowa, where the DNR is offering beginner fur harvesting workshops. The eight workshops will feature several uh, knowledge and skill building sessions with instructors that will teach the basics of trapping. Participants will will learn basic strategies for trapping, such as proper equipment, trap placement, trapping regulations, and steps for for preparing hides for trade. Uh, The courses take place in various locations statewide with... Uh, times and details varying for each event. Uh, each course is designed for participants of all ages, but space is limited. So early registration is encouraged. For more information or to register, go to license.gooutdoorsiowa.com slash events slash eventshome.aspx. Now to Vermont, where the Fish and Wildlife Department is once again offering Teen Conservation Weekend at the Ed- Edward F. Keogh Conservation Camp in Castleton on August 18th to the 20th. The weekend is open to teens 15 to 17 years old. Campers will arrive Friday and will immediately start participating in Let's Go Fishing and Hunter Education programming before backpacking out to a remote pond for camping and fishing. The program is capped at 20 participants, but there are still spaces available. The cost is $125 and participants will be expected to bring only gear that they can carry themselves since they are backpacking to a remote campsite. Registration and additional information can be found on Vermont Fish and Wildlife's website. Lastly, to Maryland, where an eastern shore angler has caught the state record snakehead, Damian Cook caught the 21-pound, 36-inch snakehead on July 5th while kayak fishing in a Dorchester County River. Cook's catch surpassed the uh, 19.9-pound snakehead caught in 2018 in Charles County, so congratulations to Damian on a huge snakehead. Also, don't forget to click on the Outdoor Drives affiliate link in the episode description to sign up for Bowhunters United today to protect and expand your bowhunting rights. As always, if you have any news to send along to me, it'd be greatly appreciated. Reach out to me at Mike Salter on Facebook or Bearded underscore Bowhunter21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. All right. Thanks, Mike. And thank you, Bowhunters United. Make sure you sign up in the link below. Go and help out or go and check out all of our sponsors. The links are also below here from Huntworth, Nor'easter, Latitude, and Bowhunters United. So, what do you think, Mr. Madman Mardik? Um, should we I don't get paid to think. Okay. Good. All right. Well, then I'll think for you, and uh, let's get on with the podcast. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Send it over there. Let's All get right. this party popping. All right. Let's do it. All right. We are back with Nikai from Res Life Outdoors. What's up, man? Thank you guys for having me. How's it going? Good, good. We appreciate you jumping on. I know it's a little late night. Things are a little hectic here already. But uh, why don't we turn this key, man? We'll get this thing right underway. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do? Yeah, uh, my name is Nakai Clearwater Northup. Uh, I'm from the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation. Grew up in southeastern Connecticut, Ledger and Mashantucket, uh, and Charlestown, Rhode Island as well. And a lot of the work I do, I serve as the head of education at the Pequot Museum, but I also started a company called Res Life Outdoors, which focuses on providing indigenous perspectives on hunting, fishing, cooking, uh, and land stewardship. And that's, yeah, that's really what I focus on through uh, video content, educational programming, is spreading that message. And I spend a a good majority of my time out trying to harvest something, whether it's uh, deer, fish, claw hogs, 
Dude, that is so cool. I'm, like, totally fascinated with this whole entire thing. Like, I know Steve has a little bit better ed- education about it than I do. But, like, so were you, as far as, like, living on the res, like, can you explain what that's all about, dude? Because, like, a lot of these people probably don't know, and I definitely don't, very ignorant in this in this fact. Yeah, so the reservation specifically my reservation mash and tucky pequot reservation is the oldest continuously occupied reservation in north america reservation systems alone we're assigning pieces of land to indigenous communities start right here in connecticut in the 1600s and now out of the 576 federally recognized tribes they all have a land base under uh, a reservation system so mash and tucket is 3500 acres of land between uh trust and fee land land that the government put into trust for us and that's ours and then also land that we bought over um, time so yeah I grew up really local um, in Connecticut small little farm town for the most part and then on the waters in Rhode Island that's crazy so it's spread it out to the waters also not just the mainland <clears throat> so in Mashantucket is landlocked now we do own uh, 200 acres on Waterford right on the Pequot River or the Thames River. And uh, then on my Narragansett community, we're right close to the coast. Wow, that's so cool. So so there's a little bit of, you know, land hunters and then fishermen that are added into it also. Yep, yep, for sure. That's super crazy to me. And, and like, so where does – one of the things, like, kind of one of the things that I kind of, you know, when you think or talk about – you know, reservation living like that. It's there's a lot of negativity that comes with it. Where is that all co- stem from? Yeah, I think personally, it's people not taking the time to to build relationships with the the community, the tribal community, and really understand what we're all about. A lot of people see that we have a, a big shiny casino and think uh, we're rolling in money and we're bougie and all this, um, but. I always say growing up, I came from the best of both worlds because my Pequot community, we do have Foxwoods. And through that, we're able to, you know, provide steady income from our, our community. We have amazing health care and big, shiny museums and paved roads. My Narragansett communities is different than that. It's uh, dirt roads. We're in the woods. Um, and it's, it's a lot different. So taking the time to really know the community and spend time with us is something I always like push on people. Uh, a lot of people are shy about that, but we're we're not gatekeepers. Uh, we like to share information and share our history and our life ways. And in return, we like to learn about other people's as well. Um, the core of an indigenous style of life focuses on relationships, relationships with ourselves, uh, relationships we make with other people, with the land, our spirituality. It all ties back to relationships. Now, you said, like, you know, the spirit... Sp- and, and that stuff, it, is there still a lot of, like, way back historical, like, I guess, ways of Traditions. life? Yeah, tradition. Thank you, yeah. Steve. You gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, our, our traditional ways of life are, are ever-evolving as well. We still maintain a lot of old ceremonies and old traditions and yeah. practices, but we're also kind of creating new ones as well, uh, new hobbies, new, new traditions for our community. And uh, that's something, it's a, it's a fine line to balance because we have to, you know, live a traditional, I mean, a traditional life as well, but then also balance a modern day, modern day life. Mm. Um, like growing up, it was, I feel like everyone kind of goes through a, a midlife crisis in their teen years, in their high school years, because there's a lot of traditional stuff for us to do in the community, like go sing at powwows and dance and go to culture class. But then there's also basketball practice and football practice and uh so finding that balance is something that's really crucial for our people really early on. And then we kind of come into our own later on and find out how to do it. But it is, it's an amazing thing to, you know, have that connections. And it's always something that it's really, I've always been proud of who I am. Uh, there's been times in my life where it hasn't been easy to be a Pequot and the stereotypes and the assumptions and things like that. But uh, to have that connection and know that your people have lived off, off this land. When I spend time out in the woods, I know that I can look over and I can see um, a site where I know my ancestors were 14,000 years ago. Uh, I know that I can go 
over here and there's a foundation that one of my uh, ancestors lived in in the 1800s. Um, so that connection and knowing that uh, that land provides for you always and that that's another really important relationship and something important to us is our relationship with the land and all most of our ceremonies tie to that. So I guess I guess you kind of already started to break into it, man. And I, I, I this is more or less the reason why we wanted to talk to you was like, what are some of these traditions and stuff like in the outdoors? Like what what have you transformed from the olden days to now that you still practice today in the outdoors? Yeah, um, I'd say one of the main ones is uh, a rites of passage. So. We had our rites of passage to become men at around 13 years old or so. And through that rites of passage, uh, we went out and we would go into sweat lodges. And then we had to spend time out in the woods uh, alone and, you know, build that connection yourself. Um, but really pushing yourself. There was fasting in some cases, but really what's stressed early on in, in our community is it's there's no other way of life it's, it's regular um it's you come home and you know there's a deer in the garage and my dad's and my uncles are cutting it up and getting it ready uh my aunts are ready to cook and get to business um we're always introduced to the outdoors really early one tradition we have is when our when our babies are born um we try to get them into the water as soon as possible um, because we believe that water has a spirit. In our language, we call water napi, and we believe that water has a spirit, and it can be gentle and calm, or it can be uh, rough and turbulent. So building that relationship and that connection, as Pequot people, we call ourselves people of the shallow water. For the majority of the year, traditionally, we spent down by the coast, and then as fall comes around, we move inland to hunt. You know, it's when you just when you just said that. There's one thing that kind of plays that in my mind. In one of the things that I remember, like in the in the in the we call it the Thames. You call it the Thames. But one of the things that I remember, like growing up, and one of the things, and this might be. I mean, you could shed some truth to this. Is that like some of the walls that were in the rivers? were we were always told that they were actual like indian fish traps like they would use them where they would corral the fish into those those big brick walls and they would narrow them down and that's how they would catch fish um in the in the thames river yeah yeah 100 percent. one of the uh, there's one that's super visible right now and it's up uh by the dayville big y mm -hmm. uh it, and there's a, a river that runs right, right next to it, I think. Uh, I forget the name of it. But the river's right there, and it's one of the oldest fish ladders around. And you can clearly see it. I'll send you guys some pictures. Mm -hmm. um, it is said to have been in use 9,000 years ago, and then they started using it again around 1,500 years ago. But you can see it. Wow. And they, but those big ones that are, like, out front of Mohegan Sun and stuff, those are also ones that the Indians had used back a long time ago also right yeah yep i think that's so cool so and 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 just to think about it because obviously like we don't i mean i don't go and and study a lot of this stuff so it's really cool to hear it from you but like those are the ways and we still catch fish on those in those areas to this day which is kind of cool to think about because when you're out fishing and you see those those ladders as you just called them like we think about those and i'm like oh you know the indians fish here too like there's obviously a reason why they put those there so long ago to be able to catch food for for their families yeah yeah absolutely um a lot of it when you see traditional styles of, of gathering and hunting it's it's trying to be as efficient as possible um letting letting a lot of your tools do the work but letting the land help you with that so just imagining them studying the currents looking for back eddies looking for certain trends in the river where to put the ladders and then really letting them do most of the work for you using the land to your advantage i love that a lot and i'm not a huge fisherman you know i i'm heavy on the deer hunting side but like yep. So many people could take so much from that if they stopped and thought about it because 
me and Trev talk about it all the time. Like we're in such a technical, technological advanced stage right now where it's all about gadgets and, and yeah. the best gear you can get and trail cameras and this and, and using your cell phone on hunt stand. And like so many people have gotten away from using the woods, using the vegetation, using the terrain. I mean, everyone talks about terrain features and stuff like that, but like you, you go back, not, not even as long ago as you're talking, but like 30, 40 years ago, that's all you had right. was using, using the woods and the layout of the woods to your advantage to putting yourself in the best position for an ambush location and all that stuff. So, I mean, that yeah. goes, that's deep, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's super important uh and being successful is taking the time to learn the land uh a lot focus on learning the animal which is really important but also taking the time while you're out there studying the habits of what that deer is doing where he's going to bed and all that is also paying attention to where he's going to bed and paying attention to what kind of trees are around and the, the land is a is a really good piece to that puzzle i think you guys just turned the key to a door that i think you know that you turn the key to a door that opens up and it really sheds some light on a lot of the things of the reasons why we spend as much time in the outdoors because our ancestors had done it before and we have now we have now gone in and opened up this big door of of you know technology and all this stuff and who's better than who and this that and the other thing but like i would imagine you know like yourself you you are one with with mother nature and enjoy the sport for what it is and kind of get away from that that technological side of it where a lot of people don't and i think that that shows a lot of example of why we do this every day absolutely yeah um don't get me wrong i love my onyx maps and all my mm. my gadgets and gear it, it definitely helps i love yeah. i love a cellular trail cam nothing yes sir in the morning and flicking through my phone looking at the pictures but um yeah that relationship with the land is first and foremost uh most definitely and that's something that you know i always tell people we all have an expiration date uh, one day we're going to go. Uh, and when we do, we go back to the land and we become that land. So uh, that stewardship is so important. Um, and just taking the time to to know what you have. I always tell people we're extremely spoiled where we live here. Uh, we have we have great hunting here. You know, we have our turkey, we have our deer, beaver, um, squirrels, rabbits. And then we can take a, a short ride to the coast and we can go and harvest uh, whatever we need from there as well abundance of berries that grow in this region so i always tell people uh, if you take the time to learn the land and learn the resources that it offers this is a really hard place to starve i i you know what's funny is i totally agree with you and i talk about it all the time because being a fisherman by trade and everybody goes and they say well well trev if you can go anywhere you want like where would you go and i go nowhere New England is yep. probably some of the best hunting and the best fishing all around, like, you know, in variety. Like, we're not just yep. dead set on one thing. We we can literally be on the tuna grounds in less than an hour. The striped bass fishing, the inland trout fishing, the, you know, the whitetails, the uplands, the turkey. I mean, it just, it's, and it makes so much sense why, like, your history of tribes were here and why they lived here. There's obviously a big reason of why they were here. Absolutely. Um, and, and I do, I do, you know, one of the other things that's super fascinating to me and, and my little education of, you know, the tribe and stuff and, and, and Indians in, in general is the use of the wild game from start to finish. Like nothing goes to waste. And like, we all talk about being, you know, purists and, and stewards of the land and this, that, and the other thing, but there is nobody more in, in depth in using all of this stuff like the tribe is is there like something yeah, oh go ahead go ahead sorry uh no sorry i would i would say that's it's super important it's something that's instilled in us very young um i always tell people like hunting you put a lot of work in uh the, the actual harvest is the, the quickest part of the, the whole process. 
And then the hard work comes after you get an animal down. Um, and you really, a lot of times have to have that commitment to get it done and make sure you do right by that animal that you've harvested. Um, you know, getting the meat on ice, getting everything prepped and ready. And with wild game, that extra attention to detail and taking your time goes a long way with the quality of, uh, the meat. And especially if you're, um, sharing it with people who aren't too familiar with wild game, um, that extra time is huge. But then, I mean, the things you can do with a white-tailed deer are crazy from, you know, the rib bones traditionally we used as uh, we splinter the rib bone to get needles to be able to sew our clothing. The process of brand, brain tanning a hide. Um, we, with all my deer I take, I take the tongue out of every deer. That's one of the best, my favorite cuts um, is taken and boiling down that deer tongue. Uh, the toes we use for rattles. Um, so we'll pop, we'll stick those toes in boiling water and pop them off and then we'll drill holes and string them together. And we use them for around rattles or some traditional dancers will tie them around their ankles. So when they dance, they sound like bells. Um, the tails, people use the hair for, uh, roaches. Um, and then you know, what, the call what's, fat, a, what's a roach? A roach is a, a tall deer hair headpiece that traditional dancers will wear. Um, and, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool process. Some go, like, way down the people's back, so using uh, a bunch of deer tails. Wow, that's crazy. What, what are some of the other things that they use? Yeah, the sinew, of course, and those tendons uh, for tradi- uh, very fibrous traditional quarters that we'd use to tie. Um Trying to think of some other good ones. Um, scalpula blades we use traditionally to you attach to a stick for like a garden hoe. Um, mm. Antlers, of course, abundant of uses for different handles and things. Um, which I've gotten in, tr- in trouble a few times by cutting up my dad's antlers as a kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but just really trying to do everything you can to, to honor that, that animal. And they have so many uses. The hides are awesome. Uh, and we make raw hide here because some people use them for rattles and drums. Uh, we'll tan them all the way through and then use them for our traditional clothing items, regalia. Um, so that deer's life uh, or the, the memory of it goes on because as I'm wearing the hide of that animal while I'm taking part in ceremony or there's a powwow, and people comment on my regalia, I can say, yeah, I harvested this animal myself. Um, I can point to the patch of wood where I found them. And it's it's a really beautiful thing. It's one of my favorite parts, but it's definitely a lot of work. Uh, the extra time and effort it goes into making sure that you do your part is, it's a lot. So so my question is, and, and with all of this, like, you know, being a tribesman and so on and so forth, like, is there, is there like any type of restriction of living on the res and hunting like the seasons? Does it correlate with normal state laws? Or I know that, that the res normally has their own laws and their own police and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, um, technically we can hunt all year round. Um, like every now and then, if we're having a get together and we need a deer, we'll go out now and we call them strawberry bucks. Um, and it's rare. For the most part, we wait until September, um, especially after the rut. Um, after January, we typically lay off hunting for the most part um, to let the babies come in. We'll move over to focusing more on yotes and getting ready for turkey season. But technically, we can hunt year round. Um, we can use rifle year-round if we felt like it. Um, yeah, there's there's no real limitations. We have tags for, like, for instance, if I shoot a, a good-sized buck and I want to bring it to a taxidermist, we have tags for me to bring it off-res. Or if I'm going to my house, which I live right off-res, I can, if I get pulled over with the deer, I can show them that tag. Um, and we have that in place. To be able to hunt the res, you have to be a tribal member or you have to be with a tribal member at all times while you're hunting. Um but other than that, there's there's not a, a large amount of people in my community that hunt. Um, and that's something that I've been trying to work on more. And I've been getting more interest in the community. A lot of people like to eat venison um, and think it's really cool to go out and hunt. But 
a lot of people weren't raised um, out in the woods. There are a good portion that were, but there's a good portion that, you know, doesn't have a clue, but would be willing to learn. And that's the kind of crowd that I'm trying to encourage more because being able to provide a meal for yourself is, is an awesome thing. And specifically on the land that you live on um, is a really cool thing. What, what do you think that the separation from the outdoors and hunting, like, where do you think that that kind of defaulted? Yeah, I think it's, uh, as we're talking about that, that technology, uh, easier ways of life. Uh, as you know, being an outdoorsman, it's, it's work. Um, and some people are content and fine with going to the grocery store to get every meal. Um, you know, flaying fish after a long day people it's work it comes down to people wanting to put the time and effort in um and some people just due to circumstances were living in cities living in places where they didn't have access or that that role model to lead them into the woods um and that's a, a prevalent thing i'm sure we all kind of share that story we had someone in our life who instilled this into us there's a few people who you see who never had any experience out in the woods and found it as a passion, studied, put in the work, took their hunter safeties and got out there. But most people have someone, a father figure, someone in their life who introduced them and got them out there and started, fueled that passion. So that, that oh, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say, I mean, it's really no different than the hunting community as a whole. Correct. Constantly lo losing generations and it only takes, you know, one generation to not be a hunter or an outdoorsman and then their kids tend to not be interested in, as well but in this situation being a, a smaller community on a res it's just more prevalent like you just notice it more when there's lack of interest as the entire industry as a whole you know nationwide yeah and i, I just i just thought it was like my i guess it's my ignorance right where i would have thought that you know the people that are you know still into the tribe and some of the you know the the past you know the history of the tribe and stuff that they would be spending more time hunting and gathering and so on and so forth but it seems to be that the technology had kind of taken over that just as it has you know across the board yeah yeah and people the the community is very diverse the community has a lot of different interests and things that they're passionate about um one thing about Mashantucket, uh, we have really good athletes. Um, we're a population right now, enrolled members is about 1,200 Pequot people. Uh, about 200 plus live on reservation, the rest live locally, and then some out of the state. Um, but yeah, it's it's more more passions. To, to do this, you, you have to love it. You definitely have to love it. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, I don't know if everybody, the listeners know, but me and you are very local to each other. Um, yeah. It seems to me, like, at least recently, I don't know, last 10 years or so, like, there's definitely some good things going on up there as far as, like, you've got the, the Sugar Shack going now. That's fairly fairly new, and that that's popping. And I know, like, Jeremy Whipple's doing some big things in, in like, the agricultural community up there, too. So, like, it's definitely gaining traction and it seems like there's a lot more interest among the people to to get back to their roots and and yeah. and, and living off the land and, and stuff like that and being self-sustained yeah i've definitely seen uh, a rise in interest there's a lot of people interested who want to get out and try and it's it's really just lending them the time to kind of mentor and and get to it um but yeah, uh, Meachamook Farm, the tribe purchased a 525 acres in North Stonington. Yeah, uh, and yeah, we have the agricultural cultural department formed. It's we're about four or five years in, and it's made really big leaps and bounds. Um, that process has been awesome. The sugar shack growing more and more, where we uh, tap and process our own maple syrup each and every year. They have like candies now and maple maple creams and sugars and all that good stuff. Um, anytime you go to Foxwoods, if you have a short stack of pancakes, you're going to have Pequot syrup. Um, so yeah, people are definitely, the interest is growing more. Right. Now, just out of curiosity, cause I got to ask, because we notice it um, as a community as a whole. Did you see any influx with your people, um, post COVID? 
Okay, yeah. It seems like across the board, like all of a sudden, everybody that wasn't so much about being self-sustained, all of a sudden there was more people like, what's that hunting all about? Like, how do I get my own meat? How do I get my own fish? Like, I don't want to have to rely on the grocery store anymore. So there was, it definitely helped help the, the industry out in, in showing interest in, in gaining population in the outdoors. Yeah, it's people wanting to know where their food came from, how it was treated and all this stuff has been getting more popular uh, for a little while now and people wanting organic and uh, grass fed and what better meat than you can get than what we can go out and harvest right in our woods here. Right. But I got to rewind real quick because I'll let you skip it over and I got to yep. go back. Tell me more about this tongue. Tongue, kind of, you kind of just slid it in yeah. there and kept going. And I got, I got to hear about this. You got to take the tongue when you harvest it. Uh, I mean, a good sized buck is, is ideal uh, for a bigger tongue, but I try to take every tongue I can and you put it in boiling water. I put it in boiling water with cilantro, onions, garlic, uh, and some chili pepper. And you let that boil and simmer for a good 45 minutes or so. All right, so you're boiling the shit out of it. You boil the shit out of it. Yeah. Layer on top that you can peel off. You peel that off, and then you can... Some people will put, like, tomato sauce and stuff and let that simmer and go in the crock pot for a while and it'll pull right apart. It'll be like the best. Really? Yeah. It's better on like elk, moose and bison. Um, just because the quantity wise and the size, but tongues and save them up. And then at the, towards the middle or end of the season, however many you have saved up do a big batch like that. It's, it makes great tacos. Wow. So that layer that, that layer that you peel off, is that like the textured part that like yeah. kind of rough thing? Yeah. And then is it smooth that, underneath? Underneath that, it's smooth. Uh, it's really, it's, it's kind of gets a similar texture to heart when you cook it. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit firm, but after a while, it just pulls right apart. Hmm. Might have to hit me up. I'll stop by when you make while, it. Wow, we're... <laughs> While, while we're on it, I mean, is there is there other traditional dishes from, you know, Indian dishes that you still practice to this day with some of your venison? Yeah, sure. Um, a popular way to serve venison in the community, which, yeah, I mean, is pretty universal, too, is serving it with some type of uh, berry reduction. So blueberries or blackberries we'll use pretty often. One of my favorite things to do is I'll take a, a whole... Uh, back ham and I'll soak it overnight in water that we've tapped sugar water from maple trees soak it overnight in that and then I'll smoke it and as I'm smoking it I'll brush uh, some of our syrup on it and keep that process going uh, until it falls off the bone and that's a, a real traditional way of going about it is that traditional grind process sometimes we'll put uh, pine and different things in their ramps um are pretty uh common as well we ate a lot of fish a lot of seafood as well so a lot of those really simple methods smoked fish anything smoked is is really common in this area um another pretty interesting one i would say is we'll take you know call fat roasts in the heart and we'll crisp it up um over the fire and that's typically always our first meal that the tongue uh, neck roasts again are something really common in the community that people like but it's all pretty simple we don't have too much for, for seasonings around here uh, we don't have chili peppers and things like that with people in the southwest um, so everything here really relied on the, the flavor of the smoke day with the wood that you're cooking with every time you think every time you said smoke and when I think of Indians I think of peyote so I didn't know if that was kind of a mix <laughs> now are you still like, are you using traditional smoking methods or like, are you on the Traeger? So a little bit of both. Okay. I have my electric one that I'll run. Um, then I'll smoke a lot of fish in there. I'll do roasts and things. But we do have one um, set up where it's essentially a, a little dome-shaped we tube, like our yep. homes, but smaller. And you pick it up and you put it on top of a rack and you have your, your smoke going right in there. You just cover right. the top bowl over top of it um and that's like the most ideal way to go about it to get a good even smoke 
Is is that a hard thing to make though? Uh, if you don't know how to do it, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> early on, it's it's not too bad. It's pretty simple. Trev, have you been to the museum at all before? Nah, man, no, I really haven't. Well, but you're now gonna have I'm to come, going to. You're gonna have to come down one time and go. And then the, the other thing, the kind, do you got? I think you changed the name, but do you guys still do the Skmitsum? Or I think it's yeah. yeah when is year, that? This year it'll be the 26th and 27th of August. Um, and that's still open to the public. Yep. Yeah, Trevor, you're gonna have to come down and check it. I'll put you on some shit. What is it? What but, is yeah. it? Can you can you describe this? Just so maybe the listeners want to check this out. For sure. So Skamitsin and, and Pequot translates to three-day feast. It's a celebration of our green corn harvest, and it's a, a annual powwow that we've been holding. Most communities in this region have been holding annual uh, harvest celebrations in August for over 300 years. So this is something that we have annually. Uh, it got really big in the 90s. Uh, and at one point, this was the largest powwow in the world with over 500 nations coming Um we had like now we average around 10 to 12 drums that will attend and 97 we had like 96 drums come to skimitzin and it's like world class um yes dancers it's it was top notch and it's a little bit smaller now uh but each and every year it's been growing more and more we have drums that travel singers and dancers that travel from all over the country and it's a, a two-day event there's traditional vendors uh, for crafts and jewelry. There's traditional food vendors. Uh, you can go there. And um, one of my favorite stands is um, my aunt Sherry Pocknett. Uh, she has a restaurant in Rhode Island called Sly Fox Den. She actually won a, a James Beard Award this year for best chef in the Northeast. She has a stand there and you can get anything from frog legs, smoked bluefish, um, venison, bison, everything there. And you get that experience and then you get to really see um, the variety of indigenous communities. Right. All right. It's on the calendar. I'm, the 26th I'm, I'm and 27th of August. I'm, I live close enough. I can hear the drums from my house at night. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it, dude, it's pretty cool to sit out on your deck and hear the drums. And like, even if it's not skimits and like when you guys have, any kind of ceremony, like I'll hit up, you know, some of my friends that are that are part of the tribe and ask like what's going on tonight or whatever. And, you know, maybe somebody in the tribe had passed away and you guys are having a fire or celebration of life and I can hear the drums from my house and it it's 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 beautiful to be able to hear, man. It's it's something else. Yeah, we say it's the the heartbeat of our people. Right. That's so crazy. Like it's gotta be kind of eerie though too, but like powerful in the same the same sense yeah you can definitely feel it throughout your body um especially when you're right there um but it's it's an awesome thing to hear especially from a ways off too um i was staying down on iron street in ledger which is i was about three four miles away from the powwow grounds and my son uh was born so i didn't get to attend that year we just got back from the hospital and i could hear the drums off in the distance and it's just yeah, nothing makes me feel more home. That's one of uh, another thing I'm passionate about is uh, being a singer for the community because it's it's an important role. We sing at everything from uh, graduations to weddings to funerals, uh, and we play a big role in our community for that. That's crazy. Well, let's get down to the meat and gravy of this because, like, I want to talk to you about res life outdoors man because this is like a super crazy thing i know we kind of went through the history i think there's a lot more that needs to be touched on but i think that we've 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 hit the tip of the iceberg and we've really started to talk about it but i want to talk about res life outdoors man why don't you just lay it on us kind of what it is what you want to do with it the history you know the history of it the future of it just tell us all about it man we really want to hear about it yeah so i've always grown up in the outdoors um it's really all i ever know i feel it's it's my greatest therapy it's it's everything that you know i I truly really love is to be out in the woods or be on the water and it's something that was instilled in me from very a very young age and my parents um and my uncles would always tell me like when you grow up like you're gonna be that guy on tv you're gonna be fishing you're gonna be hunting and I was like, yeah, I would love to do that. Like kids say they want to be policemen and firefighters and the president. I was like, I just want to be outdoors. I want to, I want to do this. Um, 
And I always had a good role model who kept me out in the woods. My father was was really consistent with giving me cool experiences from taking me out west to hunt elk, uh, keeping me in the woods here in Connecticut and Rhode Island. Um, and I, I just, I fell in love with it. And as I got older, I was working at the museum and, you know, people in the community knew me for hunting. I've, I've been fortunate to, to always have a, a good amount of success out in the woods and people started to come up and ask me to take them hunting and they they wanted to learn more about it and from there already being working in education at the museum and doing a lot of public speaking traveling to universities and schools i was like you know what i want to i want to start a company and this all started up in about 2019 uh were my first real attempt at thinking about it really like putting energy towards it and it didn't really come around until uh january of this year of 2023 and i was talking to my uncle who's uh my partner in the business and i was telling him like i really want to do this this is something that's important to me um i want to do something i love um which i love working at the museum i love teaching but uh, I'll call out any day to go hit the woods and get up in a tree. So uh, we started making things happen, and he helped me a lot. He owns a business um, called Get Fuse, which they do like marketing for and web design for the Patriots, and they've done work with the UFC and all that stuff. So he had a lot of connects that helped us get started, and we got our first graphic up, which we rolled with um, for a logo and. The, the real goal behind it was trying to spread positivity. There's so many things nowadays where you turn on your TV, you scroll through your phone, and it's just, it brings you down. Uh, there's a lot of sad stuff going on. There's a lot of craziness. And we just wanted to bring something positive to people that was educational, but also from, from a different lens. I feel um, there's, everyone associates indigenous people with being great hunters and knowing the land. But if you look in the, the outdoor space and in the hunting world, there's not a lot of representation um, that you see. So I wanted to be able to help provide that and make it easier for younger generations of people to feel comfortable in this space. Um, so Res Life Outdoors, the goal is to help uh, get that younger generation out in the woods. That's, that's our main thing. And, you know, we, like I said, we all have a time limit. There's only so long we'll be able to do this. We only get so many seasons but to make sure that this practice comes on because as you guys can attest, this is some of the most rewarding stuff. Um, it, it really makes you feel good and you, you benefit from it. So being able to provide indigenous perspectives on hunting, fishing, cooking, uh, stewardship is, is something that we strive on pushing video content, educational program, uh, video content has been slow, but we're, I'm heading to Alaska in September to hunt moose, caribou and bear. Um, and we're going to be launching a short film for that trip. I'll be there from September 5th to the 24th, um, and that's going to be the real kickoff to the channel, and then after that, things are really going to start to take off. With uh, this season, I have uh, a bunch of good hunts on the on the calendar with some Virginia whitetail, potentially, um, and maybe some South Dakota muleys. So it's a lot to look forward to, and... I want to be able to share those experiences. One thing that I've been working on is I'm trying to, of course, every year harvest a, a good mature buck, but I'm trying to harvest bucks from Mash and Tucket. And uh, I've shot a couple, a couple big ones the past couple of years and I got them mounted. And so when my time comes and I can't go in the woods anymore, I can leave that to my community and they can see, uh, you know, these beautiful animals that walk this land and that process. And a lot of the meat that I harvest, I give back to the community anyways. Um, like I'm doing a free meat giveaway. Um, I have like 30 pounds of burger, 30, 40 pounds of burger that I'll be giving away towards the end of this month. Um, so just spreading and trying to reconnect people outdoors is really the main goal, um, is building that connection back up, helping people reconnect with you know, at one point in time, all of our people uh, were hunter-gatherers and spent time and had a closer relationship with nature.
I think it's crazy. I absolutely love it. I love the, you know, the journey that you're going to, you're going to endure soon. And I mean, when I, I had saw that you were going to do this Alaskan hunt, like I was totally mind blown and I have some questions about it because like, are you going to do that on tribal land there or are you just doing it as, as like a guided hunt or whatever? So, um, I'm going out with family friends. I'm going with my father and uh, two of our family friends. And, uh, one of them, Steve Pearson is his name. Um, he's a, a registered Alaskan guide. So he goes each and every year and he's been going for, I don't even, for a long time. My dad has gone out a few times with him and my dad was able to harvest, uh, a big bull moose with a 64 inch spread, uh, a, a big grizzly, uh, black bear, a caribou. Um, and he, talked to me and he was like are you ready to come and i I, shit, I was ready to come forever <laughs> um like can you make your own money and put it up to come he said i'm not paying for you i was like ah oh, man um tried to get at least one more good hunt out of him but uh yeah everything fell in place and i've received a lot of support from the community um and helping fund the trip and even I was able to, through the help of my dad, lock down a really cool sponsor for this trip as well. Uh, Swarski Optics is has donated me a scope uh, for my 300 that I'm bringing out on the trip. Um, I think I've heard of them before. Yeah. It's not is, a bad sponsor. <laughs> not a bad sponsor, right? I was like, I don't know how this uh, came about, but um, it really all fell in place. And we're we're getting close. We're a little more than a month out. Um, and I got the rifle pretty much all set. We're putting the scope on the scope. I literally got the scope yesterday. Um, but this trip is, is really something that I've been dreaming about. Uh, I've always wanted to get to Alaska. Uh, we're going to be out there. We're flying into, um, Anchorage. And then from there, we have to take a plane to McGrath and in McGrath, uh, my dad and our, our friends have a, a buddy who has a plane it's a little tribal community there and we'll be able to spend a day there with the community uh interact with them and uh cook them a meal and just be able to pick their brains a bit and then from there um our buddy will fly us out on his bush plane about 60 or so miles into central alaska um and we'll be out there for about 14 days hunting I guess it sounds like this this is kind of a setup for a second podcast because when yeah. you get back home because we I want to hear this like full fledged from start to finish how this trip goes because you know you you see and you hear about all of them but I feel as if that the stories that are going to come from it are going to be something else. Yeah, I've been I'm getting more and more anxious the closer it gets but this is hopefully going to be a good one. Trev brought up a good point that I was thinking there earlier. Um, you, I would imagine the uh, the uh, the window is there for you to be able to reach out to different tribal nations across the country, and you know, reach out and almost collab where you yeah. could go to different reservations across the country and share a hunt with them. Yeah, I think that would be really cool for your you know future YouTube channel to for you to be able to leave the Northeast and and show this this reservation in this state and what they have to offer and the gate you know from Arizona to Wyoming to you know Pacific Northwest and and whatever so far that's that's right in line with what we're doing uh we're coming up names for like the res tour or something yeah. um but we're going to we're going to bounce around res to res for sure uh we've had a bunch of people extend the invite already um I'm fortunate enough to have an awesome family and a big family that uh, is spread out. So like those opportunities that I'm mentioning in Virginia, that's from, uh, another indigenous community there. And then South Dakota, another indigenous community there. I have a buddy in Montana. Um, and he's offered as long as I get the tag, uh, when I get the tag, he's offered to bring me out, um, in Montana after elk and Yashki Perkins. He's, he's awesome. Uh, he works with Hoyt, um, a bit and uh out there i've got a uh, reservation in washington colville res which is like uh, over a million acres and uh they have big muleys big elk 
tons of bear. So those opportunities are, are definitely on the horizon. And that's, that's another key goal of Res Life Outdoors is to highlight uh, these indigenous communities in the way that they hunt off their land and being able to share a hunt and a, a good meal with them. I think bringing right, the that... light to that is is something that needs to be done, honestly, where people need to understand. Because I think that there's a lot of people out there that are very, you know, ignorant and, and uneducated in some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just well, trying to be a best friend in uh, San Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's cool because, you know, at the, at the root of Res Life Outdoors, you know, it was more or less, you know your res and what you 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 do where you were born and raised but with that platform you can shed light on all reservations across the nation and uh like we we were talking about before where you know in the northeast you you have you know you have the coastline you do the cohogs and the and the clams and all that stuff where when you go to montana they don't know nothing about that but they're they're gonna turn you on to other things that come from the land that we don't have in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's something really important to do as a hunter is go out and have new experiences. Uh, you can never perfect this game, but you can, you can put in the time and effort to learn different tactics and ways to go about it. And uh, taking the time to go hunt with other folks and see how they do it is a, is a real good way to go about it. I'm excited Just to so, see all this. Stuff. Even even the different ways they per- prepare and cook. Yeah. The yeah. Si- you know, I mean, it, whether it's white-tailed deer or elk, it's still venison, right? Right. But the, all the ways that you prepare it, you might go halfway across the country and learn a completely different method of preparing and cooking the, yep. the same type of meat. Yeah, and having the opportunity to experience those traditional meals. I've been fortunate to be able to travel to other communities and have – them prepare meals and it's, it's never a bad meal. Right. Well, man, I, I think that we've shed a lot of light on some really good topics and I feel as if that there's a second episode when you get back from Alaska, but I do have one last question for you, man. And that is, and I, and I'm honestly, you know, I say this all the time, but I'm honestly, I feel as if this is going to be the best, what drives you outdoors. So without further ado, man, (laughs) what drives you outdoors? It's, it's just, really the most rewarding thing it's it's something that i love to do it's something that i i want to protect i want to preserve um i want it available for my children and my children's children and it's it's really the most rewarding way of life it's something that's extremely passionate um there's a beautiful community that surrounds it uh hunters may get a bad rap sometimes but uh this community has been uh, accepting with open arms and it's something that we can all relate on. Uh, I love to see the stuff that you guys are doing all the time. You guys are constantly, uh, inspiring me. And, uh, I hope one day we can collab and connect as well. Um, in the woods. And go We're to- too, too yeah. close not to. Yeah. <laughs> we have to, we have to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's everything. This is, it's a extremely rewarding way of life. If you don't do it, take the time to just have the conversation and maybe come sit in the woods, have that experience because it's, it's more than killing. Like everyone thinks Um, it's, there's nothing better than getting out there early in the morning. It may seem rough when that alarm clock goes off, but getting out there and watching the forest come to life. And uh, I feel extremely fortunate that we have the opportunity to do this freely. Um, And I, I can't see myself doing anything else. You knocked it out of the park just as if I thought you would. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's it's been it's been a, a real pleasure to hear about some of the traditions and some of the things of the tribe and really educating people on everything that kind of goes on, man. And and I hope that you know everybody goes out and kind of follows along with what you got going on in the in the future of of res life outdoors man um for those people that do want to go and check you out and see everything can you kind of guide them in the ways of your social media and so on and so forth yeah um everything social media will be res life outdoors so it's r-e-z life outdoors all one word um reslifeoutdoors.com is our, our landing page for our website right now that's getting wrapped up still um we just launched merch 
which is uh, available on our uh, website as well. There's a link there, um, but we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, uh, and we're on YouTube. Awesome, man. Absolutely great. <laughs> oh, I got to jump in. Another another shameless plug. If you're if you're local, you know, we have a lot of listeners in Connecticut, Southeastern Connecticut. If you haven't checked out the Mashantucket Pequot Museum, I highly recommend it. I haven't been in years. Um, but after talking to you, I think I need another visit down there. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, I highly recommend checking that out. Definitely come check it out. We're going on our 25th anniversary this year. I'm actually wrapping up uh, next month. August 11th is our 25th anniversary. I'm curating the exhibit uh, for the 25th anniversary. It's uh, about the 13 wounds, which I can get into a whole nother conversation with you guys about, which will be really awesome. But uh, yeah, come by. You guys definitely come by. I'll bring you guys through and give you a tour. Um, and we'll be able to to bullshit and have a good conversation there as well. Um, but yeah, definitely come by. We have a lot going on this year with it being our 25th anniversary coming up. There'll be events pretty much every month. That's awesome. And everybody goes there to go to the casino, but there's a whole line of history that's, that puts into place that's not just the casino. You know, the Indians aren't just trying to steal your money. They want to teach you about them too, well, right? No, right, right. Just well, if you're at the casino, <laughs> correct. All right. <laughs> What's that? I said, but yeah, still come gamble. Still come <laughs> Well, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you're at the casino and you're gambling, you can take the zip line. Doesn't the zip line bring you right out to the museum? Right. Damn, yeah. You go to Fox Tower and you head over there and go down the zip line and you'll be to the museum in one minute. And it's air in there. It's nice and cool. We got a bunch of cool stuff for you to see. There's Res Life Outdoor Church in the museum gift shop. <laughs> Nice. I love it. <laughs> and and some syrup too, probably, you know? Absolutely. Let's Absolutely. go. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, you know, I really appreciate you jumping on, dude. I don't think that it's gonna be the last time that they hear your voice here and, and you know, we're we're we are really looking forward to seeing the future that holds for Res Life and I hope that we can collab in the future together, video, podcast, whatever it takes. Um, we're really looking forward to it. And for everybody else, I hope you guys all go and check out reslife.com and all of them on social media. And for everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.